When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Simone. Uh, My name is Ian. Lovely to see you here on this day. It is a good day. We have a good God. And uh, Shane is right. Much to share, much to reflect on as we go through our time together, especially as we come to this, for me, this uh, most critical moment uh, in Matthew's Gospel as we think about where we've come from and about all that Jesus has said uh, right from a few years ago as we started journeying into Matthew's Gospel. It is uh, a real high point and uh, you may not be there yet. I hope you will be soon. Uh, This morning, the whole series on this rock and this morning we really come to this conclusion about the king and his kingdom. What is the kingdom he's building? Uh, What does it look like? How is it expressed on earth? Uh, And where do we go from that? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, uh, we thank you too. We can also celebrate the Lord's Supper as we remember what you have done in and through your son, Jesus. May it be, Father, as we think about your church, who we are in this place in Fig Tree. Help us grab hold of the call in our lives. Help us to continue to desire to impact the world around us. And Father, may it be that as you continue to change us, uh, that we leave a legacy for others to follow realising the importance of confessing who Christ is. In his name we pray. Amen. And so uh, let's uh, jump in. Uh, The chaos, the chaos. 
uh, every uh, Sunday during the NRL season in New South Wales at least, uh, three teams take the field. Uh, team one is the home team and team two is the visiting team. Uh, at game time, often at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, the whistle is blown and the game begins. Or put it another way, war breaks out between these opposing teams. Uh, there's no doubt uh, they gather to engage in conflict and a battle. Uh, one team is headed to the try line in that direction and the other team is headed to the try line in that direction. Uh, and all they are doing, all their energy, is trying to stop each team to score a try. Uh, of course, this could happen in any game. Rugby union, AFL, netball. You only have to go along to netball, as I'm sure many dads did during winter. I don't get it why, we wear, why girls play netball in winter in those short days. Short, they're freezing. We sit in the sidelines and freeze. But the same principle applies. People are trying to get to the other team, bumping, tackling, tripping, doing all they can uh, from stopping uh, each other from scoring. One thing we do know about the teams is they're never going to agree about what happened, who's right. Uh, in the midst of those two teams, there is a third team that takes the team. That is a team of officials. Uh, the men and women have been engaged and assigned to be on the field but not of the field. They are in the middle of the mess. They are not called to be part of the mess. Their obligation goes further than the two teams uh, because when the game starts in Sydney, there is an NRL headquarters, another kingdom, and there's another king who represents that kingdom. In this case, let's call him the CEO of Todd Greenberg. Uh, and sometimes, of course, uh, the officials on the field are booed or cheered, but it's all irrelevant because they've been given the task to follow a rule book. It doesn't matter whether they are happy, it doesn't matter how they feel at any given point in time. They are called to follow some guidelines, a book. Uh, and indeed, this is overseen by this king of this kingdom. Uh, and again, they're not there to represent the teams or the crowds, or can I say it, TV networks. Each official has this handbook, these guidelines, the instructions to lay the platform for what is to happen. Uh, personal opinions just don't really enter into it. Uh, and as soon as they leave, leave the book or the rules, they lose the support of the CEO, of that king of that kingdom. Why? Because they've been given the task to be wisdom in the midst of chaos. That is their role. That is the job they have, the one job they have. And of course, uh, we've been talking about another kingdom with another CEO, another chief, another commissioner, uh, the kingdom of God, and that chief, that CEO, is called Jesus Christ. And he too, in the midst of chaos, has called forth an officiating team. The crew that he's called forth is to be on the field, but not of the field. They too have been called to bring wisdom in the midst of chaos. We know that team to be called church and they too have an instruction booklet. It's called the Bible. Uh, they've been called to be a light that shines, to bring wisdom in the midst of chaos. Uh, and when in either kingdom, the officials, the leaders, the preachers, the teachers, the referees leave the rule book, chaos will reign. Instead of being the calming influence they're called to be, only problems happen. Just watch the screen. They add to the chaos instead of bringing wisdom to that situation. And that's the role they have. 
Because as soon as they leave the rule book they've been given and worked over and been instructed to do, as soon as they start to make it up or do a spur of the moment thing, chaos will reign. Uh, for the kingdom that we have our focus on, the kingdom of God, all of history is called to account in regards to how Jesus' officiating crew, the church, has dealt with any situation. And it seems to me as life moves forward, which it does, this decade is coming to an end, that much of the chaos, much of the change, much of the confusion that we're experiencing in life today has not really got that much to do with the teams on the field but sadly more to do with a poor officiating crew called the church. The church which Jesus talks about in Matthew 16 is to be on the field but not of the field. I'll explain in a moment, church. Instead of being society's calming influence, the wisdom in the midst of chaos and radical change, sadly we have more and more contributed to the chaos. Officials who have not officiated well, and not only that, but in ways that go beyond belief, have in some cases, far too many cases, been at the centre of brokenness and broken life after broken life after broken life. So with that context in mind, we get to this point where we know Jesus has moved on and there's a confession coming up and is in the midst of thinking and saying a lot to his disciples, wanting to leave, let the disciples know what is happening in his life and his world. And there's a confession that we know. And we read this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Two fantastic questions. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, that's a pretty impressive group of four people. I mean, to be prophets, clearly they can see that whoever Jesus is, he's a spokesperson of God to be included in such a group of people. And as complimentary as that is, it's still wrong. And so Jesus, hearing that, pushes it further. But what about you? Who do you ask? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered that answer, that confession that is profoundly well known, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the one who comes to fulfil the Old Testament. You are the yes of God. You are uh, the completion of our hopes and our dreams. You are the fulfilment of all things. You are the Messiah, the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. It's a wow. Stop. Catch your breath. What a confession. Uh, it, it's, it's a profound statement and it also corrects any misunderstanding about who Jesus is in this middle point of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 16. And so Jesus goes on to say this, of course, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven, by divine inspiration. And for those who are here in the last few weeks, you know others sort of sign to prove who Jesus was. And so this revelation of who Christ is profound. Uh, and we need to grab hold of that because it's on this confession that the church that Christ is building will be built. And so now that Jesus' identity is clear, we have a growing understanding about the role of church in the midst of chaos. Jesus takes it further now because he wants the disciples to understand their role 
and their purpose as he does for us today. And we know we can pick up language, and there's a lot of uh, language use here. We know of Jesus being the foundation stone, be the cornerstone. We sing on Christ the solid rock we stand. There's a lot of language there. And so we move then straight to the reality of the church. This confession leads somewhere. And I think it's when you grab hold truly of the responsibility of the church, God's people, you can understand why Jesus responds the way he does in a really direct and abrupt and a soul-crushing manner to Peter. And so this church, this, the Greek word is ecclesia, this thing that we know, this group of Christians who gather, this group of people who are called out, this assembly of God, this God's people, the church, uh, an expression, a visible Expression, this is who you are, of Christ's rule in the world. And so the church is built on this confession. And we read, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Note the gates and the keys. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It wasn't the right time for such uh, an outward expression. And yes, there's a play on words with Peter, the rock, rocky, things like that. Um, it's funny, probably, as a Protestant church, this wouldn't be necessarily the Protestant's favourite verse because of, I just say, Catholic overtones that are seen with Peter and the implications of that. But it is one of the most powerful moments, I think, in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, the reality of what Christ is doing. The call on Peter's life and the disciples' life. And it's like Jesus is saying, as important as leadership is, I'm not building my church on a leadership program, as important as music is, I'm not building my church on a music program, as important as lunch after church is, or coffee, or whatever it is you want to say, it is, it's being built on the confession of who Christ is. Confession after confession lying upon rock, upon rock, and the body of Christ is built around the world. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, Peter's not necessarily the most stable sort of guy that you want to build something on, to be truthful. And yet I realise it's his confession. And I think I said it last week, do you realise how truth matters? If this is wrong, then we're all wrong. If truth matters and Christ is indeed the Son of the living God, wow. Jesus is the one from God. This is how the church is being built and exists. And while that is maintained and while that is professed and proclaimed, the gates of hell cannot overcome it. No matter what you see, what you feel, it cannot happen. And many of us might remember those words from uh, 1 Peter 2. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house by a holy priesthood. This is Peter writing this. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The church, the coming together of all people everywhere who confess who Christ is. 
the called out ones, the ecclesia, uh, the ones who are called to legislate on behalf of God. We cannot, if we've ever done this, think of church as that which happens only on an hour on Sunday, if you've ever thought that thought. That is indeed a vital part of what it means to be a Christian because there is uh, spiritual transformation, information, education. But if you think, well, that's just church and I'm done as soon as I get home at 11.30 or whatever it is you do, that's not church that God is talking about here. The call of every church around the world, the call on everyone, is to go out into this world and proclaim the truth of who Christ is. I love the preacher who used the example of embassies in foreign countries. I don't know when anyone here has ever seen an embassy somewhere else or had to go to an embassy because you've lost your passport or something. But when you go to, whether it be an Australian embassy in India or China, when you stand on the Australian embassy's soil in China, it's as if you are standing in Australia. Would you agree? You have all the values of home there, all the rules, all the safety, all that stuff happens as soon as you step foot onto that ground. That is what church is called to be, a taste of heaven. When people come and gather together, what they're getting is a taste of all that God has revealed and shown. And if you ever wonder what's the true mark of a Christian, Galatians 5.22 is helpful. Love, joy, peace, patience, those fruit of the Spirit. When people come in and mixed out amongst us, people who are different, people who uh, look different, speak differently, whatever it might be, they get a taste of heaven. Why? Because we are Christ's representatives. Can we use the word ambassadors? And I love the fact that Langdon has uh, moved the language of carols for people who volunteered to be ambassadors. That is so powerful. And maybe we as we think about ourselves and as we look back through history and work out how we respond to things, maybe we have not responded as well as we are called to. And it's probably no longer politically correct to sing Onward Christian Soldiers. Onward Christian Soldiers, as if we're going to... We might be happier in singing Backward Christian Soldiers. Let's be reactive, not proactive. Let's be quiet about who we are. That's different for generations who have gone before us. Regardless of what lay before them, they would be bold and courageous in that way. We cannot operate in reverse. This reality of Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church. You know, if we feel that hell is stopping the growth of the church, but then maybe Jesus is not the one building the church. There's so much out there that seems to sit under the banner of Scripture. You know, some of the ones that get me most are things like prosperity, but I'll leave that for another day. Especially when you understand the cross that Christ has called us to pick up. If hell is moving fast and we're experiencing dramatic change in society and there's chaos on the field, where is the officiating crew? Where is the church in the mix of that? You probably know that old saying, we should not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good or not so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. There's a balance there. The role of the church who God's people is to bring a taste of heaven down so others can see that. To be salt, light. To be caring, compassionate. And in that way, what are we doing? We have been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven and only the church has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Governments do not have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Macquarie Street in Sydney does not have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. As much as we all value Canberra and all love Labor, Liberal, Greens, Independents or whoever it might be, Republicans or Democrats and dare I say Donald Trump, none of them have the keys to the church, to the kingdom of heaven. That's given to God's people. It's often we think Jesus is on my side or our side, no matter what shade or shape you have. I love uh, this verse from uh, Joshua 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? (laughs) Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I am the captain. I've not come to take sides, Jesus says. I've come to take over. But that's the point of Christ coming in this world. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about is not dependent on the players in the field. It's like a royal household being entrusted with a special key and wearing it as a badge of honour. On the day of Pentecost, many of you might have read Acts recently, I don't know, but in Acts 2, a powerful sermon from Peter. In Acts 10, again, thousands come to faith in Christ. Thousands confess faith in Christ. Uh, In the history of our church, uh, I think it was the Christmas of 1999, 20th anniversary, wow, who'd have thought? Many of you were there, I wasn't. Uh, Greg Laurie speaks at Carol's. Uh, it could have even just been here. The building wasn't built then. And from memory and what I was told, Greg Laurie, who was a preacher connected with Harvest 2000, for those who were born then, made an appeal at Carol for people to come forward and repent and give their life to Christ. Some of you were there. From, my, from what I hear, hundreds did. Man, we attempted. Let me tell you, I'm that close to doing a similar thing. <laughs> Could you imagine having 8,000 people coming to Carol's, which we pray will happen this year. It's a fine night. It's a beautiful starry night. And the, the, uh, it's been a wonderful. We've been singing about Carol's and Greg's sweating because of time's running low. And you're thinking, the Spirit of God is upon me. People need to hear of Christ. They need to repent. And I call all the staff down the front. I'm now going to ask people to come forward and receive Christ as their Lord and Saviour. You should be saying, why not? No, you're all nervous now. 20 years on. Are we giving people the chance to know what the keys are to the gates? How important are keys? Anyone here ever lost their keys? And guess what? When you've lost your keys, you're going nowhere. How many people are here who keep moving house or doing things and you've got so many keys at home now you've got no idea what they're for? Gee. I say to Rhonda, what's this one? I don't know. <laughs> Does it open anything? Who knows? You've either forgotten where the key is, you've lost your key, or you don't even know what key you've got anymore. Jesus gives us keys because there are gates to be opened. There are people to confess who Christ is. Uh, We know that through Ephesians 3. What's Christ's intent? That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And for those who want to read Matthew's Gospel, you have to jump further to Matthew 18 to get a sense of what that means about binding and loosing in terms of God's people and God's community. Discipline. Being responsible for each other. Uh, We're all called to share and to explain. And again, in the context of the religious elite who are locking gates and locking doors and not letting people in. 
Jesus is saying it's going to be opened up and the background of this is Isaiah 22 for those who want to check that out later on. Uh, we, we cannot build a church, it seems to me, if people are not committed to Christ's agenda and a confession of who Christ is. Um, so we know that because we're led into this most uh, re- reality check about the cost. Probably one of the most uncomfortable parts of God's word for all of us. Uh, Jesus' mission involves the cross and it's not some nice cross. The cross is not some symbol of a happy ever after life. It has never been, it will never be. If we do not get the reality check that following Jesus, taking communion, acknowledging what our Lord has done, how he's given his life, if we don't get the fact that we carry the cross daily and suffering and death is part of the bigger picture, then I don't know what cross it is we're carrying. And the cross back in the day was the most scandalous, as you know, form of execution. That, that term to ancient readers would have horrified them. And so Jesus explains it. From that time on, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of elders, chief priests, teach the law. He must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. This is such a significant turning point. And dear Peter, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Uh, If you acknowledge that Christ is the Messiah, if you acknowledge that it's Christ building his church, you now must be prepared to put it all into practice, to fulfil his mission, to build on his church, then there's a course of action required as part of the divine plan. And that's the cost. And how do we respond to such a cost? Peter might, you know, he might be an example when it comes to this commitment, I suppose, about there's a chaos going on, we're called out, there's the church, there's a cost, I'm wrestling with the cost, there's a commitment that's called for. Uh, you know, Peter, you really, he would really rebuke your leader or your teacher. And I think Peter at this point must have been absolutely shell-shocked in his soul when Jesus said this. Jesus turned to him and said, and some people say Jesus turned his back on him. Uh, Some commentators say that. But anyhow, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, again broadening it out, whoever wants to be my, my disciple, you know, again, that's key. Underline that, my disciple. If you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus, that's your call. No one's forcing you to be a disciple of Christ. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's such a paradox. It's such a what? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And let's say, you know, we live in a world where the world is offered to us on a regular basis. You know, sometimes I see all those Powerballs and those huge lotteries and I can feel in my inner spirit, gee, if I just won a hundred million, I give, you know, five million to the church. Oh, I give half to the church or maybe ten million. I could buy houses for the kids. Any of you ever, come on, let's confess. Yeah, you're a bunch of sinners. Of course you see those and you think, oh, 
you know, Rhonda, did she text me? Ian, did you get the, your lotto in? In case you're wondering, no. You know, we trust God in that way. But as a sinner through and through, I tell you what, the world offers you a lot. That is not what Jesus is about. You might remember uh, back in Matthew 4 when Jesus is in the desert being tempted. Do you remember what Satan tempted our Lord with? Matthew 4, 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. What a picture that must have been. And he said, I will give you all of this. No suffering, no pain. No long queues at Christmas time. No parking problems. All you have to do is what? Bow down and worship me. No problem at all. Life's easy. That's way back in Matthew 4. So Jesus not only has a very instruction, a key instruction to give his disciples, it's self-fulfilling. And what could we give up? You know, sometimes I think Western Christians expect so much in so many ways, and especially if you listen to the television. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's the old language, only a cause worth dying for is one worth living for. Taking up one's cross must mean more than putting up with a sore knee. Oh, my knee's sore. Oh, I've got an ingrown toenail. Oh, I've got problems at home. Oh, gee, that lawn is... I need to mow the lawn. That's, oh, gee, that's a cross to carry. You know, Ron never mows the lawn anymore. That's my cross to bear. We analyse this cross to bear in such simplistic terms and it is not. It is denying all the things in your dreams and hopes and putting it aside and saying, it's Christ's mission I'm on about. It's his journey. It's his call. There's a decade awaiting. Langman's talking about going to Indonesia. Uh, if you want to set yourself up for the next decade, guess what you should do? Go on mission. Do it while you still can. Do it while you're physically able. Or if you've only got one arm, still go and do it. It meant marching shamefully with people side by side jeering you and mocking you to your execution. That's what taking up the cross meant. To set aside your dreams. It's a life of discipleship to come after him. That's why we do carols and Christmas and kids fun day and gingerbread nights and things like that. Well done to all those people who did the gingerbread night. We don't do it just because we just feel like doing it or Greg's pretty quiet, we should get him busy at Christmas time. That could be motivation. But that's not the real motivation. And that's a paradox. It's only by losing life you can find it. It's only by letting go and especially in regards to self-interest. I'm stunned because I'm getting older that mere Christianity came out in 1952 by C.S. Lewis, nearly 70 years ago, 70 years ago. He says this, the principle runs through a life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favourite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fibre of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. And then this clincher 70 years ago... Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ 
and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. 2019, this decade's ending, man, we have high levels of mental health issues, high levels of depression, high levels of concern, there's genuine stuff out there. But even then, if you put yourself in the centre of your life, it will lead to something. And I don't get a sense as I read uh, media and as I watch people and hear people's lives, it does not lead to a self-fulfilling life. I appreciate his language of loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, decay. Jesus is worth any price. And, what, and it's a great question. What do I have in exchange for my soul? Once you give up your soul, what, what can I offer? I have nothing. The cross is all. And maybe if self-denial is hard to remember, how did Jesus wrap it up? The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, he says, I tell you, some standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. Maybe if giving up all your ambitions and your desires and hopes and dreams, maybe the reminder is there's a reward coming. There's a reward coming in that way. Um, I'm going to ask the communion helpers if they'd get the communion ready. We're going to stop and celebrate what the Lord has done. So let's just focus finally on the calm that we're called to bring. Deny self. Denying self means having a will that wants to submit itself to the claims of Christ. It's not a one-time event. It's a daily event. It's a lifestyle. It's his plan, not my plan. A desire to take up the cross. There cannot be any discipleship without taking up your cross. Daily. It's not about your circumstance. It's about your attitude. It's not about saying, I've got a difficult husband, it's my cross to bear. I've got difficult children, it's my cross to bear. It's not about all those things. My arthritis is playing up. It's my cross to bear. No, it's about a desire to follow him. And years ago, to follow him, many of us might have had them, those bracelets, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Did anyone ever have one? Go on. Own up. We might have lost the bracelet. Don't lose the concept. Don't lose the principle. What would Jesus do? God wants to build his church to change the world, to open the doors for people to find their way to him. Our orders are not to retreat. Our orders are to go forward, not to be inactive but proactive. Our job is to open as many doors as we can so more and more people can hear the wonderful saving news of Jesus Christ. You know, you know what's, the, what's, Australia's, uh, what's the answer to Australia's greatest need right now? It's the church. Not just a single church, but all of God's people, all the churches. We are called to be the voice to bring the calm. Way back in 2016 when I gave you the 2020 vision book, on page 21 there's this statement. The church needs to be socially engaged and aware and is more than ever the need of the next three to five years. As Christians we need to embrace the historical evangelical movement which was totally about socially enga- in social engagement. Churches once functioned as centres of community life. Therefore we once again need to do all we can to be a light to this city. That was the call then. This is the call today. This is why Rhonda and I will give $2,000 to uh, the intern program and the Mark's Gospel Project because we want to make sure the next generation can hear what we have heard 
and the word of God goes out. Do you realise that the Christian life involves risks? It does involve risk taking. It's not about simply coming to church on a Sunday, putting a few dollars in the plate and going home. And I can say to you as thankful as I am to that and I'm so thankful for all that you do. But if, you, if that's the legacy I leave you, then I've failed you. It is more than that. It is about what happens when we go home. It's about letting the Christian life influence my marriage, my sex life, my kid raising, my child raising, my grandkid raising, how I, I give, how I serve, how I pray. It affects everything. The Christian life, as it's built on this rock, is giving our all to Christ. We currently watch nations fall apart. We are watching unbiblical values become the norm. If there's ever a time for the church and God's people to stand up, it's now. If there's ever a time to take up your cross and follow Christ and remember and remind yourself of that, it's now. If there's ever a time to serve, notice on the world that the kingdom of God has arrived and Christ is the king and Lord of all, it's got to be now. So today, as as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'll invite you to come forward and I'll get my young bride Rhonda and we'll do that first and we'll put our envelope in that. I'll serve the communion helpers and then you'll come down and have communion. A couple of things are happening. As you come down, I invite you to put your gift and commitment cards in those boxes. Next to those boxes are these little crosses. Uh, And there's a history behind these little crosses. Our dear sister Karen Dixon and others have put them together. They made them. And what do they make them out of? Uh, Back in 2011, through a gift day project, for those who remember, we had a project with a church called Kalamawana and they needed a new roof. And we we raised funds and gave them a new roof. And in response and thanks, they gave us a mat. And out of that mat, we've made these little crosses. And so not only do we pick up our cross and carry it, it's connected with another body of Christ uh, in Vanuatu. And so from that mat, we all can say we're connected to the broader body of Christ. And today as you come forward, there'll be prayers here as well. If you are struggling in your journey of carrying your cross, I invite you to take communion to place your gift in the box, to pick up your cross and to come forward and ask for prayer. If you have never yet stopped and said, I want to own Christ, I want to confess him as my Lord and Saviour, then do it today. Grab a cross, come down the front and ask for prayer to help you in your journey. It is so crucial that we all do that and acknowledge the call on our lives. So today as you come down, Collect the cross as a symbol of your desire to follow Christ. Remind yourself of who you are. And indeed, always remember that uh, on this day, 1st of December 2019, we're all called to be the people of God and indeed to bring light to this broken world. Amen.